My name is Dan, and I am weird. But I don't see weird as a bad thing, though. Being weird just means you march to the beat of a different drum. You don't fit that mold that society wants to shove you into. I'm out searching for people like me. The weirder, the better. This is my story. These are their stories. This is the power of weird. This episode of The Power of Weird is brought to you by The Spectrum Perspective, communication training for the modern workplace. Learn more online at thespectrumperspective.com or simply follow the link in the description below. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Power of Weird. My name is Dan, and I'm your host. A little bit about me. I'm 37 years old. I'm 6 foot 7 inches tall. In my adult life, I've weighed as little as 295 pounds and as much as 640 pounds. I'm sometimes too smart for my own good, but at times in personal relationships, I'm also pretty clueless. (laughs) I've been a vegetarian since 2001, and I also don't drink coffee. I'm a sought-after brand designer and leadership coach and the co-founder of a lightsaber combat program. I'm also a dad to a great 17-year-old kid and a proud uncle to three nephews, 21, 18, and 9, and three nieces, 15, 14, and 12. What's probably more interesting about me, though, is that I'm an autistic entrepreneur and business professional. A book that I read in my early 20s changed my life forever. It was called The Secret of the Shadow by an author named Debbie Ford. In this book, Debbie talks about the things that we sometimes are embarrassed about ourselves, bringing them into the light and making them work for you. Creating your own special recipe with the ingredients that only you have to make a difference in your life and in the world. At this point in my life, I already knew I was weird, but I didn't know about my diagnosis. I've tried to accomplish the mission she set out for me in this book every day since. I'll leave a link to the book in this description below. Part of that mission was to make this podcast. Finding other people who are weird or different or who don't fit in and who are living their best lives because of it. Through interviewing them and telling their stories, I hope to learn more about myself and that everyone listening does the same. Last time on The Power of Weird. I've got three children and they're all named after Starship Captain. That was how I knew I could marry her. This guest that I have today needs no introduction. Malicious compliance. Fortunately, sometimes you just go to New Jersey and you're like, ah, crap, it's New Jersey. Parakeets. (laughs) Wasn't always the critical thinker either. I joined the Army to see the world. I got North Carolina, South Carolina, and Virginia. That was my entire enlistment. Earlier, we talked uh, about conspiracy theories that, you know, and here's a good, honest one that I, I think is accurate, is that Reagan was a traitor. There's an old line in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy that says, no man who can, is capable of getting himself elected president should be allowed to do the job. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I understand the sentiment. I yeah. generally kind of agree with it, but I, I, you know, I get it. Good people don't make good presidents. Though. Right. And, that, and that's, that's been shown over and over again. Jimmy Carter is, right. is, honest to God, the best person to ever serve in the White House. Mm-hmm. Hands down, he was and is a good human being. Just to the core, right. he's a good person. I mean, he's in um, what his mid nineties now, and he's still out yeah. building habitat houses and all that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah, yeah, and and, and not you know getting rich off of off of his presidency, oh, right? But and and honest to good, you know, honest to goodness, his presidency, the the him being remembered as not being a good president, mm-hmm. is almost entirely outside influence. I mean, he got mm-hmm. hit with the oil embargo with stagflation that was that was associated with that. He lost his election because of the Iran Contra situation, which had nothing to do with him. I still you you had, you know, earlier we talked uh, about conspiracy theories that yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. everything and here's a good wow. thing that I, I think there's, accurate there's is conflicting that was stories on this, but um I, I honest I believe the accounts that I've heard on it. Um, there are uh, uh, reports out there that uh, Reagan's team during the 1980 uh, election was actively negotiating with the terrorists that were holding Americans hostage to keep them held hostage until after the election to, to make it right. so that that uh, Carter didn't have that win. Mm-hmm. And so Ronald Reagan and his team were actively keeping American citizens in harm's way for political expediency because it helped them 
And in my mind, that there is no greater definition of treason than using American mm-hmm. lives for personal gain, which he did. Man, you got to be on the roundtable now. That, that's <laughs> that, that right there. That that checks that box, man. Woo. I'm just thinking of there's half the people out there that their blood pressure just shot up 30 points, and the rest of them are like, oh. <laughs> But it makes you think of those, like, um, you know, like the uh, roast battles, you know, when the whole crowd's like, oh, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, holy crap. But no, I mean, it's, it's, it makes, I mean, that that's very true and that that was very damaging to him in that election. I mean, like, that was something that people were constantly talking about of like, well, why can't you get these people home? And, and wow. yeah. And so it, it's, that's, you know, it, it goes to, you know, with Reagan, I don't think Reagan was a good guy either in any way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. He was he was effective as a president though. I can't deny oh, yeah. that. He he got some stuff done. He, sure. And he was the last president we had that was that was able. Well, I guess uh Bush, you know, H.W. Bush was, mm-hmm. you know, it still kind of fell on that line because he was still, it was the third term of, of Reagan. But you know, it you know, you know, he worked with uh uh with the opposition, Reagan and you know, uh I'm shit, I'm drawing a Slank on the on the speaker. He worked with uh, Tip O'Neill. I want to say Tipper Gore. I'm like, no. <laughs> Tip O'Neill and him were, you know, not necess- were not adversaries. They weren't necessarily friends per se, but they mm-hmm. they worked together and they got shit done. Right. And you know, when Clinton got in, you know, and and you know, after two years when Newt Gingrich had their his contract on America, I know they call it contract with America. No, it was a contract on America. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, all of a sudden everything changed. So that was you know a few years after the rise of of right radio, of you know the the abandonment of the fairness doctrine, and all of a sudden these you know opinion hit pieces being presented as news stories really damaged the 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 conversation. Just it damaged yeah. the whole political political landscape, and you know people that are susceptible to to that type of propaganda tend to be older people tend to be whiter people tend to mm-hmm. be people that now vote republican sure and they're really really susceptible to things that sound good on the surface that have no you know real reality to them i remember being a teenager and first time i heard rush limbaugh and i he's talking about something and i can't remember off the top of my head what it was but i'm sitting there i'm thinking and listening to him and he's like okay yeah that makes sense that yeah you know that makes sense he's got a good point sure and you know, an hour after the after the the broadcast, I'm still thinking about stuff. It's like, yeah, he kind of knew what he was talking about, and <laughs> thinking about it. And I was like, well, wait a minute, what about this? And and it took a good hour of actually sitting and, and intentionally thinking about what he was saying to poke right. holes in it. But once you see the holes, it's like, holy shit, that's a serious hole. Yeah, that point actually has <laughs> right. no validity. It sounds good on the surface. It's it's like people who tell you, you know, the government should be able to balance the budget, just like I'd balance my checkbook. It's like, yeah, you know. That sounds well, a good, good talking paper. point, right? Yeah. It's a great talking point. It's completely wrong for various reasons. And I've got three uh, three semesters of, of economics that tell me why that's wrong. But you know, your gut feeling, sure, that's more important. <laughs> it's like, no. Well, you know, that's one thing that I definitely will say as far as um, because you know, I um, the last many years, you know, I've kind of found my niche in like the small business marketing world, doing you know, brand design, all this kind of stuff. But it, you, there's something to be said for the efforts to the, the the spin efforts, I guess you would say, and and on on both sides. But it does seem like like uh, right leaning folks are better at it. <laughs> you know, it, it's it, it's not that right leaning folks are better at it. It's people that tend to be more conservative are more susceptible to it, and I. I I don't mean that in any kind of you know disparaging way in any way, shape, or form. It's people that have con- conservative values, people that mm-hmm. are conservative. That's, that's just it. They're you know the the whole point of conservatism is traditional values, keeping the status quo, keeping things where they are. Right. And people that believe those that that sort of thinking would rather have something that stays stable than something that changes because you've got right. information. Fair enough. Right. And so just by nature, by being slightly conservative, you're more inclined to believe stuff that sounds like it matches your already current worldview. Um, there, uh, I think there was a, a NPR story here a few years ago. It would have been, I think it was before, I think it was before 2020, but it, it might've been like 2018 for that election cycle. It was, uh, mm-hmm. they did an interview with a guy who did uh, these hoax websites, the, you know, the oh, yeah, news yeah. sites. Uh-huh. 
and uh, they, they caught up with a guy that that had a pretty big, big empire that was making millions of dollars a month doing it. And they were able to track him down. He was willing to do an interview with them. And he said that, you know, he's he's actually a Democrat. <laughs> but he, he's he's a he's a moderate he's not mm-hmm. not a liberal he's not a hardcore conservative but this makes him a ton of money doing this right and uh he said it's it's not a political he doesn't do it for political reasons he does it because it makes money right and he tried they you know him and and people he knew that were in the industry that worked at it they tried doing liberal ones they tried making these these you know moderate to progressive conspiracy posts that were not necessarily wrong, but stuff to incur anger, stuff that right. that whole they they're just trying to elicit a response. <laughs> poking the bear, yeah. Poking the bear. And they, they tried it with liberal talking points. The problem was is every time they would do it, within 10 or 20 comments, somebody would debunk it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like it just doesn't work. Within within 20 comments, somebody debunks it and it just fizzles out. Right. Whereas on the conservative side, those stories, you know, grandma and grandpa from you know from Iowa would forward it on Facebook because it's a newfangled thing and it would just get the life of its own. Right. And nobody that would read it would think critically about it in any way, shape or form, because if they did, they wouldn't have reshared it. And then they would get angry when you would tell them that this is wrong. It's not that, you know, Hey, I'm trying to help you out. So you don't look stupid. It's how dare you criticize me in front of my friends. And it's, you know, that was, that's the response, you know, You've seen so many memes like that where people will say something wrong and somebody will correct them. It's like, I didn't ask for your opinion. Thank you very much. Right. <laughs> it's like, it's not an opinion. This is, you're just factually wrong. Well, I mean, one thing you have to give the the more conservative side of it is like, they definitely, whether it be the, the nature of the, the way that, you know, conservative people want, you know, like you said, like trying to keep the world the same, you know, um, they like how things are, or whether it be the spin machine, or whether it be the misinformation that's out there, like for one reason or another, like they get the people out, though, I mean, like, those are the people who are inclined to actually take action. You know, I mean, you know, it's almost embarrassing on the liberal side to, you know, we've got these like I call them overwoke liberals, (laughs) you know, absolutely. Um, And 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 it's the thing that, that bothers me so much is like. You know, I am one of those people who believes in like the power of, of what we say and, and that, you know, you can stand up in solidarity and you can take care of people and be kind and all this. But it, it's just like it, there's almost a different level of accountability that be, would be there. It's one thing to hear something from, you know, from a new from a potential news source or whatever else and to kind of buy into it and believe it. It's an entirely different thing to hear someone say something, to pick the one tiny little grain that you want to get offended by out and then spin it into a, you know, a huge shitstorm. Um, you know, because that's not something you see conservative people doing. That's just the overwoke liberal people. Um, you know, and then those people like us who are reasonable, you know, we get thrown into that mix with the people who, you know, throw a fit about every little thing. It's embarrassing. Yeah. And that's okay. There's, there are fringes to both sides. You know, oh, all, for sides, sure. all, all sides have good people. There are good right. people. Agree. Uh, there you go. <laughs> the, the fringes, they're trying to think how to, how to put this diplomatically and not come across as like a match one side or the other. Cause I'm not, there <laughs> are fringes on the left that where people, assume are left and they may or may not be left-leaning they may right. just be they're really really passionate about one issue sure. and and you know not pinpointing one particular issue but like looking at race sure. there's a lot of of people that are very very passionate about what you call woke right uh, being overwoke there are a lot of things a lot of people that are very very passionate about it and quite frankly rightfully so there's a oh, lot yeah. to be pissed about there's a ton of stuff oh, i agree that can absolutely be called systemic racism. <clears throat> there are is absolutely shit going on that are, mm-hmm. you know, microaggressions that that people that have never been exposed to it, that people have mm-hmm. never seen it, never lived that life, cannot possibly fathom what a microaggression sure. is. They just, they oh, just fair enough, yeah. It. And the problem is with conservatism, especially those people are on the right. They they have a very hard time putting themselves into somebody else's shoes of what sure. life is like for that other person and. It's not necessarily a failing on that their part. It's just that that's not their lived experience, and they can't right. fathom somebody else's lived experience. It's, right. It comes down to self awareness. Are you aware of yourself, and are you aware that other people are aware of yourself? And can you put <laughs> someone else in that in that awareness? Can you put yourself into someone else's self awareness? Right. 
And that's something that, that people on the progressive side tend to be better at than the people on, on the conservative side. Fair that's enough. not saying that one side's better than the other per se, but you do get those people on the far left that are, it's not so much that they're offended that you didn't, you know, you know, you, you think Taylor Swift deserved the Grammy more than Beyonce did because she was white. No, nobody's saying that. No, at right. least that was, are there people saying that? Yes. I can't say nobody saying that. Yes. There are people who say that will honest to God believe that Taylor Swift deserved the freaking Grammy that Kanye West interrupted her for because Beyonce right. had a better video and, and it was because she was white. You know, okay. All right. That's, that's your, you can believe that. I don't think anybody in mainstream America, honest to God, believed that in any way, shape or form, but I can understand how somebody might think that mm -hmm. there are, with the the way race has been addressed in this, in, in the country and, and frankly around the world, there's some truth in that. That yeah, maybe there was some the people that were making the decisions. Maybe there was some level of prejudice in there that's either sure. being you know not addressed or not recognized. Mm -hmm. Sometimes bias is implicit. It's not something that you know is there. It's just it's right. there. And if people are calling that out, that's that's great that you are bringing attention to stuff that is there. The the bias in policing you cannot deny that it exists people do anyways right but there is definitely a, a racial bias in how mm -hmm. people are policed that that doesn't mean it's automatically wrong if if you are a cop working a beat and you have two people walking down the street and one's dressed like a gang member and one's dressed like a you know preparatory college student the fact that the guy that's dressed as a black as a gang member is black doesn't mean you're profiling him because he's black and you're right. not profiling the other guy because he's white it's a situational <laughs> thing and there is a racial component of that. There's there's no denying that. But making your policies based on that is absolutely systemic and it is absolutely yeah. racist. And that's what like the the stop and frisk policy in New York was about. That was right. you cannot deny that that wasn't a racist policy. You just can't do it and be taken seriously mm -hmm. for anybody that's remotely progressive. Sure. Conservative sides, oh yeah, no, 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 there was no racial progress. It doesn't say anywhere in the policy that you need to stop and frisk black people more. It does not say that, so therefore it wasn't racist. Right. But the outcome was and it absolutely True. there's no way to deny that the those people that are on the left though that get super offended by people that say that mm, it's not also right. get defended of anybody that's not 100 for them and it's right it's all you're either with us or you're against us and if you're not 100 with us if you're 99 with us you're still against us and you're right being, right and, and that isn't honestly that isn't a problem that isn't an mm -hmm. issue with anybody in politics. The problem when it comes down to being elected is that people hear people say that and people that are in the middle, that independent group that right. really doesn't have a decision, hears that and they're offended because you're calling me racist and I'm not racist. So I'm going right. to these guys who don't call me racist. Mm -hmm. You know, even if they are racist and aren't willing to admit it, it's still you've you've already isolated that group and you've negated that vote and you can't get right. people to your side because you're telling me if you're not on my side 100%, then you're evil. Right. And the the flip side of that is there are those people in the conservative circles. They're just it's different because people on the left weren't voting for them in the first place. So you're not really True. you're not really scaring them off. Mm -hmm. And for some strange reason, the people that are those hyper woke people the independent middle looks at them and goes, yeah, that's, that's what progressivism looks like. That's right. why I'm conservative. Exactly. They, for some reason, they don't look at people like the Proud Boys and the militant right-wingers that are out in Montana. Nobody looks at them and goes, that's what a conservative is. That's why I'm not voting conservative. Well, again, it's the whole, it's, it's cause we, the reasonable ones like you and me are not sitting there pointing and saying, look, 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 look. When you do see like the, some of the, the you know the the reasonable you know uh conservative side people they do say like hey look at that what the hell like because they're directly coming at them you know the proud boys people like that you know the, the kkk you know these evil i mean i don't really believe in i believe in evil actions not necessarily evil people i think it's one of those where people don't have the either education experience or understanding to richard spencer is evil absolutely he is evil embodied but just like hitler was if he had his way there would be another holocaust i well, have no doubt well, anyway, so, but the thing about it is, though, is I think it, one of the things is <clears throat> when you look at groups like that, you know, you know, we're sitting here, we're two, you know, white cisgendered men, you know, and, and, and even though we don't, you know, we, the two of us, you know, I know you well enough to be able to say, you know, we have a, a Oh, <laughs> Jim just went dark. I like it. Um, the birds, it's time to sleep. Uh, so, um, but, you know, it's one of those things for us, like they're not a direct threat to us. 
right? Right. And so there are people like you and me who are, you know, who would still stand up if we see something like that happening, right? We're still going to step up and say, this is wrong. This isn't okay. But the, there are a lot of people in the conservative world who kind of say, well, you know, I don't agree with what they're doing, but they're not hurting me and I need to take care of myself. You know, I yeah. need to take care of my family. And, yeah. and even though I don't agree with that, you also can't fault people for, for, for trying to just take care of themselves and their families. I mean, sometimes that's all that you can do in the world, man. <laughs> Not, again, I don't necessarily agree that that's the way to be. If some, if I see something, I step typically step up and say something. But it's one of those where, yeah, I, I, you see, you can't fault them. I I, I kind of do. I mean, not. I don't think necessarily that somebody that doesn't stand up for somebody else is, is mm-hmm. lesser or anything. But I I if I see somebody that I'm looking out for number one, you got you got to take care of number right. one first. I got to do for me and mine before I do for you and yours. Sure. To me, that that thought process is kind of foreign and i have less respect for somebody who has ever said that or ever done that unless it was something that you know they really you know it really did matter like you know i've got 20 bucks in my pocket i gotta go to get dinner for my right, kids right exactly on the street that needs to feed their kids i've got 20 dollars in my pocket i can afford to feed me and my family or i can give him the 20 dollar bill and go hungry in that situation Okay, yeah, I need to feed my family first. Sorry, you right. need to feed your family. I, I can't, I can't help right. you. I get that. But if I've got two 20s in my pocket, and I can feed my family and feed his, and it's honestly somebody that needs the help. Right. If I walk by, I'm just as bad as the people that kicked him to the curb in the first place. You know? Fair enough. And I, mean, I, I don't fault people that that you know don't have money and can't share things. That doesn't sure. bother me in the least. But stuff like you know, Joel Osteen. I mean, oh, well, sure. Yeah. The whole thing when the hurricane came through and he wouldn't let people into his church, you know, it's like mm-hmm. that tells me everything about who you are as a person and that you're not a man of God. You're a man of money. You mm-hmm. are the guy all- worshiping the golden altar. And, you know, movie. Movie. That's right. <laughs> Sorry. I had to throw he, that in. he is the movie fan. <laughs> and, you know, that I fault. It's like, you know, no, if you're not, if you're a mega church pastor and you're mm-hmm. not living a poverty lifestyle, you are wrong. You know, I mean, point blank. I, I, I get being able to have the nice house and have a nice car, sure, but yeah. a, a $20 or $20 million, you know, Gulfstream because reasons. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. Which is why I, I, I'm not a, Mother Teresa, I'm not a fan of her politically in the sense that how she, you know, how there were ways you to get help with Mother Teresa, you had to kind of live to her rules and Mm -hmm. got to those. But Mother Teresa didn't live in a mansion and drive a Mercedes either. I mean, that was why people respect her. But, you know, nobody really respects Joel Osteen as being a good human being and a philanthropist. It's just not, you know, pretty much all the mega church pastors and stuff. But you know, they're effective leaders, but they're not. They're, they're good at making money. For right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know, that, that same aspect, though, it, it's there is the whole I'm going to protect my family over your family. I, I understand that. I get that. But if you've got something to where people coming into the United States from from Mexico and Ecuador mm-hmm. and, and all the places they're coming up from the border to, you know, it's not hurting you personally to let people in the border and sure. take care of them and make them American citizens. If we let them become American citizens, it doesn't hurt you in any way, shape or shape or form, but you can, you can string together a stretch of convoluted things that say, that, mm-hmm. yeah, well, it's taking money, you know, it costs money. And so therefore that's money that didn't get put into my kid's school district. And so they're costing right. me and mine. It's a stretch to, to do that. Sure. At some point, yeah. Can we afford to feed clothes and, and take care of every single person <laughs> on the planet? You know, the answer is actually yes, we can. Mm-hmm. We just choose not to, right? But in that same token, we don't need to feed, clothe, house, shoe every single person on the planet. That isn't our job. Right. That goes into the whole, you know, well, I, we're going to take care of me and mine. There is a line there that, and that line is very, very wide of where, mm-hmm. where's your, your points that you can exist. I get the argument of, you know, take care of me and mine first. But we are way, way, way closer in that line of, of isolationist as opposed to mm. people who actually can help well, than we should be, in my opinion. I try to think of 
you know, I, I, I try to think of and stuff like that on a very case by case basis. Um, as, as, as it should be. <clears throat> yeah. You yeah. really can't take this and extrapolate it and put it into you know, statistics. It right. Right. Work. Well, like my mom and I have a conversation often and, you know, you've met my mom a couple of times. You know, I love my mom to death. Everybody knows that. But at the same time, she is also one of those like overwoke, you know, she thinks there's a race war coming and that all the white people deserve it, you know, <laughs> like, and, and um, which not to say that, you know, there haven't been issues, but at the same time, uh, you know, but on the flip side, right, we have this conversation, my mom and I do about a friend of mine named Tim, who is one of the best human beings that I know. Um, he is staunchly on the other side, um, you know, from me, as far as most issues go. Um, but we have a very good relationship. He's, he's one of those people where, you know, the thing that matters to me the most in the world nowadays is, is how people treat other people. Right. And so on a on a macro large scale, you know, when Tim looks at policy things and different things like that, we disagree on how some things should be. And, and, you know, and he's one of those people that says, you know, well, I understand racism does exist, but I'm not racist. I've never been racist. I've never owned slaves. I've never done I've anything never bad. I've never seen anything racist because I'm not on that side. Well, he does. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, he's one who will admit like he's seen some shit, you okay. know, but it, but at the same time, he's from Indiana actually as well. Um, but he's seen some, he's seen some stuff, you know, but he just says like, that's not who I am. But I don't think that, you know, his whole thing is like, that's not who I am. Therefore, we're moving forward like he doesn't see that he has to use you know like like, like affirmative action for example he would be a completely a, a completely opposed to any kind of affirmative action programs just because you know he himself is one who would not discriminate if he was hiring people he would just find the best candidate he wouldn't care if they were a man or woman or black or white or asian or whatever um you know obviously i know there are multiple asian <laughs> you know yeah. uh, asian cultures out there just to, for brevity here um but the thing is like on a micro level when you take this guy and look at him on a micro level um he and his well now ex-wife not really anything that he did to create that situation but he and his now ex-wife have two biological kids and they also um, one thing that he is really passionate about is children you know and where a lot of conservative people the argument is made by liberals that you know they want to they want babies to be born but they don't want to help them after the fact on a micro level tim is the antithesis of that because he and his wife adopted four kids out of foster care um, that became 100% part of their family, just like their two biological kids are. And, you know, he may not be making a big difference, like on a policy level, he might not be looking at the grand scheme of things like my mom would say, like he needs to. But, you know, he's making a difference one by one, there are four children now that did not have a family that now do, and have a roof over their head and food and toys and, and clothes and people that love them and support them, and that did not. And so those four people can then go out and make a difference in the world in a much more effective and better way than they would have been able to otherwise. And so even though it's micro versus the macro issue, it still makes a difference. <laughs> you know, oh, it's yeah. Yeah, but, not, um, not to belittle or to believe you're the point there. Yeah, there are anecdotal evidence of all sorts of people being oh, sure, right, beings right. that are conservative. And I'm, and I'm not oh I know that yeah. in any way, shape, or form implying that you're not a good person for being right. conservative. But I, I don't think that's the norm. And I think that for, you know, generally the people that are screaming that that conservatives, you know, like babies unborn before they're born, mm -hmm. their points are, you know, right on the money. That's sure. true. We we will make it illegal to get an abortion, but you won't fund pre, you know, pre-kindergarten or whatever. Right. No, it's I, like, I yeah, do agree not, with that. You're not helping with the healthcare costs. But there are people on both sides. That, that's one of the arguments for, you know, uh, with with churches being tax free is that you know mm -hmm. <clears throat> and people that are getting taxes are like why why should I paying thirty percent in taxes when I you know I'm I could easily give that thirty percent to my church and it's you know it's been shown time and time and time again if you did that if we said you know what you're tax free give thirty percent of your income to your church they'd give five percent of their income to the church right. to pocket the rest mm -hmm. because people are people that's just would some people give thirty percent of their 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 income to their church absolutely would most no, no, they wouldn't, and they don't. Right? No. It's, yeah. And it's like those same people that are supposed to tithe and give ten percent of the church on top right. of whatever they pay in taxes. Do they? No. No. Yeah. No. It's like you know, nobody does the right thing unless they're made to. Is you know factually evident, but yes, there are exceptions. There are people who do the yeah, right yeah. things just for the sake of doing the right things. Right. But it, it's we were talking earlier about the employers about paying oh, pensions yeah. uh -huh. and paying unions. It's like. 
as soon as you take away any kind of legal requirement to provide mm-hmm. certain things, they're gone. The company's like, yes, hell yeah, that saves us right. money on the bottom line. It's gone. And so, and you know, conservatives talk endlessly about you know the just overregulation and regulations the cause right. of all the problems. We need to get rid of regulations and blah 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 blah. And it's like those regulations are there for a reason. Those regulations right. made us who we are. Those mm-hmm. regulations made you know, the United States the greatest economy on the planet because of those regulations, right. not in spite of. And as you take those regulations away and you whittle down those things that we were requiring people to do because it's the right thing to do, we've been shown repeatedly that things break down as soon as you start taking away those mm-hmm. rules. When the Civil Rights Act was repealed, what the first thing states did, you know, it's like, all right, we're re- remapping, we're gerrymandering, we're doing everything right. we can to, to do, you know, to disenfranchise black voters because mm-hmm. it's no longer illegal. So fuck y'all. Right. And yeah, for real. First thing, uh, when when investment banks, when Glass-Steagall was repealed and and all of a sudden you can start, you know, betting wildly with, you know, you know, Mon Pod Smith down the street's money, mm-hmm. they did. And the banks collapsed. I mean, it took less than 10 years. Between the collapse, of, between the repeal of Glass-Steagall, mm-hmm. so the entire financial system collapsed under the weight of people doing the wrong thing. You know, that's why those things are in place, it's, and right. they were all put there because it's, 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 there's the whole comedian that used to say, "That's why there's the law." You know, <laughs> it's like, right. you know, it's like, you know, people didn't make a law to, you know, for, you know, making 18 the age of consent or 16 the age of right. consent or whatever because we thought it was a good idea. It was because people were raping children so there right. should be a law that says this is the age not allowed right yeah it's like that's why there's the law you know you know the whole you know murder is illegal yeah it's not because the bible says so it's because it should be illegal damn it right like, uh, right people, yeah people yeah no not to murder no they don't <laughs> no they don't but you know no, i get it well so it's, there's some something i haven't really talked about on the podcast as of yet because i uh I mean, I, I let my views be known, but at the same time, I'm not really, you know, it's it's all, I try to really focus on the people that I'm talking to, but, you know, one thing that I've kind of, the concept in my head that has developed is, you know, uh, there are so many complaints about the way that the system is, and there's so much bureaucracy, bureaucracy through so many different things, and even programs that are designed to help, like, uh, you know, like SNAP, um, EBT, you know, Section 8, different things like that, there's, there's a lot of issues there where a there's a lot of bureaucracy and ex- extra cost and then the people who receive those benefits oftentimes i mean like dignity is just not an option for them yeah. you know yeah. um i had a couple of clients who were really nice ladies when i when i ran a, a mental health program in clarksville tennessee when i first moved back here that um you know they they lived in what were probably like 8 to 900 dollars a month market rent apartments but they were subsidized with section 8 because they were just you know disabled again wonderful people um but i, I remember that you know they were really upset cuz their rent had increased and um it had increased from like 206 dollars to like 215 and for them that broke the budget but it also was a situation where like you know they they would always have issues where you know they'd have something broken or something messed up or whatever and uh, they were always on the bottom of the list of people that need help because they only paid a quarter of what everybody else was paying <laughs> you know right now granted the, the company still got their money but they had to jump through hoops and all this other kind of stuff and and at that point it got me started down this train of thought of you know we spend a whole lot of money you know probably way more per capita than what the living wage would need to be and so i kind of came up with this concept of like a you know um I call it an alternative minimum income, um, but where you talk like Andrew Yang with his like freedom dividend, right? Yep. Which universal, universal basic, basic income. income. Well, yep. my thought is that, um, you know, and, and, you know, I took the budget a couple of years ago. And if you take out all the entitlement programs that we have, right, if you take out all the entitlement programs, except for Medicare, like, you know, but take everything else, including Social Security, because Social Security would be a redundant program at this point, not to say that people that paid into Social Security wouldn't get their money back out because they would, but but take all of that money, right, that is spent on all of those things. And if you divided that, at least when I did, and I'm not an economist, I don't pretend to be, I just did some very rough calculations of what the actual federal budget was for all these programs. But if you took all that money that was spent and divided it amongst every single American citizen, 18 years of age or older, it comes to like, 300 something thousand dollars per person that's spent every year per capita. So why can't we turn around and give $40,000 of that to each individual person to make sure they can meet their basic needs, have some dignity, can we pay market rates for 
things and be able to then have it to where, you know, instead of somebody working at McDonald's because they don't have any other choice, let them be home with their families, let them pursue education, use that other, the difference in the money to have free college and to be able to have, you know, arts training. And if somebody wants to be a sculptor, let them be a sculptor where, you know, but, but you take away all that other crap, all that other bureaucracy, and then you create skilled labor. You know, you have people that work because they want to work and they want to do something good and they can get paid whatever they need to get paid. But, you know, can you imagine if somebody were to have a, like a, a like a 10 year apprenticeship, you know, where they come out of school and then they study with a master person and they know that their basic needs are met. So they don't have to worry about where the next, you know, rent check is coming from or the next batch of groceries. I mean, granted, there are other things that would have to happen. You'd have to switch that over to a, um, like, to like a consumption tax versus a payroll tax, you know, so, so we'd be bringing in money in a different way. Um, you know, a universal sales tax for folks that don't know what that is. But I mean, to me that it's just, we have this, we have so much money that we just spend on crap or, or that we don't spend or that it just goes to a little hole in the wall program. And, you know, why not take care of people with the money that they've put in? You know, I mean, now, isn't that the purpose of the government? Now I get to be the conservative foil. for Please you. do. Go ahead. <laughs> so this goes right back to my well, I talked about the first time I heard Rush Limbaugh. It sounds okay. great. It sounds great on the surface. It sounds like a brilliant, brilliant idea. Fair enough. And the reason we haven't done it yet is because it wouldn't work. <laughs> <laughs> And the, and the only reason I say that is because things are complicated. Things are oh, way, way, way complicated. And if you could solve a problem with a 30-second clip, it would have already been solved. And so there is so many layers of that that mm -hmm. are absolutely true. There are so many things oh, you yeah, said yeah. that are 100% true. And that system would work great if there weren't anything in it for the breakdown. And unfortunately, there are things for the breakdown. If you suddenly gave every man, woman, and child $40,000, the price of everything would suddenly increase. That's 10 the times. problem, right? It would be. It would be. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Throw. It would. It would shoot up, and and not only that, it would be the people that still that have millions of dollars still mm -hmm. could be get on just fine. But the people who only have forty thousand dollars now, it takes twenty thousand dollars out of that just to cover your basic incomes, and right. You know, you know, there's all sorts of rules that would go into that. Who can get it? How much sure. you can get? What you can do? If if we took that budget and we actually took everything and made some sort of plan to where mm -hmm. we could make an honest evaluation of this person wants to be an artist. We're going to fund you for that, for this, this would work. That would absolutely sure. work. You could make a, a program where it's like, look, you can, you know, here's two options. You can be a normal worker and pay your taxes and pay, you know, mm -hmm. right, pay right. whatever it is you do. And you get X amount back from your refund. So you pay less in taxes overall. Sure. That would, would, would be one track or two, you can do the UBI track, right. and in that case, you don't have you don't have income taxes, but you can't make any money past X amount of dollars or whatever. Sure. This and we'll give you that, or you know, everything after fifty thousand dollars is taxed at a higher rate. Or there's sure. ways you could make that work, but it would take a ton of man hours to to write. Oh, I agree. Programs yeah, I agree. To do it to where it's remotely fair and to mm -hmm. make it to where it's, it's possible, which is why it hasn't been done yet. It's just sure. it's. Oh, no, I, no, I yeah. totally agree. Yeah. I mean, when I look at it, too, like I used to be a fan of the um, of a flat rate income tax. Where and as an economist or as uh, a person who has, has taken so many econ courses, I have never been a flat tax. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do. It's one of those where I feel like now, granted, there is such a thing as generational wealth and there is such a thing of, oh, well, I only got a small $10 million loan from my dad or whatever. There are those things. But <laughs> the, the people with wealth don't mm -hmm. understand how wealthy they are. And that has always True. been the case. They, they People with, you know, the, the former Enron guy, his wife said, you know, $10 million doesn't go as far as it used to or something like that. Still goes pretty far. <laughs> well, it's just it. they, for somebody who's worth a billion dollars, being only worth $10 million feels like poverty. Right. It, it's like everything else. You know, when, you know, when you've been in power for so long and some mm -hmm. equality suddenly feels like oppression, it's, it's the True. same thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, my, so, you know, my, my whole thing is like, I feel like, uh, you know, you talked about like deciding who gets what and how much, I, you know, I agree. I think the difficult part of that would be figuring out um, how to integrate um, can, you know, inflation controls, cost controls, you know, regulation as, you know, the, which that would be the difficult part is regulating costs in a way that, you know, that inflation doesn't skyrocket with something like that, where more money is introduced into the, you know, everyday folks, which I know is a challenge. I mean, that's definitely not a, um, you know, <laughs> that's not a small thing. I'm well aware. <laughs> it, it's, there's, there's an old expression, architecture is sexy, engineering is not. Fair and, enough. And, and, and 
what the problem is, is architecture is 10% of a building and the engineering is 90, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, nobody wants to do the engineering part to that. And, and, and like your, your program mm-hmm. there that you were talking about, if yeah. you did that sort of thing, the architecture is sexy. Oh, but yeah. if you can't get the engineering to work, oh, agreed. The yeah. program, it doesn't work anymore. And, and on anything, if you have the political will, if you have mm-hmm. the means to do it, we can literally make anything happen. I mean, we sure. Uh, Kennedy said, "Let's go to the moon in eight years," and we fucking did it. Damn it! Yeah, yeah, which is cool. You know, <laughs> which is cool. When the the first Gulf War, when we hey, you know, uh, Saddam Hussein's overrun Kuwait, and we need a mm-hmm. shit ton of people to go repel him. We fucking did it. We went in and just you know, boom, 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 boom. We had right. a mission. We had a we had the will. We had the drive to do something, and we did it. Right. Um. You know, the the flip side of that is you can see specifically when something is not well engineered. Mm-hmm. Look at post 9-11 when we did the Iraq invasion. Oh, there was yeah. no thought mm-hmm. to that. There was no, you know, people just, it was knee-jerk reaction. People oh, yeah. pulled the trigger. It sounded good. Hey, let's go in and invade Iraq because we're certain they had something to do with it. And it, they, and honestly, they probably had something to do with it, but they weren't the masterminds. Right. Um, they, they probably were aware. But, you know, we went in with a mission of, oh, you know, we'll figure it out when we get there. And that didn't work. It didn't work out. Um, and it's it's like everything else. If if you're willing to do the engineering, you can make anything happen. If you just want the pretty picture, all right, that's marketing. Mm-hmm. You know. Oh yeah, no, no, I agree. You know, I think the thing about it that that I that with something like that, like a plan like that, right? You know, um, Andrew Yang when he talked about it on the campaign trail, he was talking about you know making companies pay. You know, you know, taxes and which I which I agree with <laughs> personally, yeah. but saying like that's where that's going to come from, you know, and and, and for me, like the, the way that like I don't want to it was something like that. I feel like if you were able to do it where literally it was just an opt out where otherwise everybody got that same minimum income. And if they earn money on top of that, great. And then, you know, but if you make a billion dollars, sure, you can choose to opt out or you can get your 40 G's a year or whatever, just like everybody else. Um, you know, it, it's the, I think the problem that we run into when we try to make social change like that is that we, we for better or for worse, we go in threatening, saying like, well, hey, you know, hey, you, whatever, like, we're going to take this from you to give it to other people. You know? You, know, you know, you know, that's honestly, that's not fair. People scream that, though. People scream, you, you can't steal my money. It's like nobody. Right. The whole thing with Obamacare, they're taking my doctor. No, <sighs> no. You know, it's like you can choose your own doctor. And it, and when it comes down to it, like that, that line right there, the whole you can if you like your doctor, you can keep it. Right. And then two years later, you couldn't because that doctor didn't accept your insurance platform. It wasn't that you didn't get to choose your doctor is that your doctor chose not to participate. Right. And it wasn't that wasn't a lie from Obama, which is what everybody in the right street. Mm-hmm. Line, I didn't get to keep my doctor. Right. I was like, no, your particular situation precluded you from keeping your doctor you wanted. That wasn't because Obama lied. It was because somebody chose to go against the grain. Right. And, right. You know, more power to you. Great. It's still it's an anecdote and it applies. Sure. But it's, it's like anything else. And people with you know with programs like this with policies, that's the first thing that happens now. It didn't used to be that uh, before the fairness doctrine was expired, before you know, you could have you know talk radio talking points. People didn't scream like that. It wasn't you know the end of the world for everything. And now mm-hmm. anything that's liberal or progressive is right. you know is anti-american and and it's the end of the economy and every they're they're trying to ruin the country they're they hate america we actually have congress people who are actual elected officials saying shit like that. oh i know yeah and it's like the just the the level of discourse has changed and i don't know how to fix it one side desperately wants to fix things one side desperately wants to not do whatever the other side wants they don't have plans. They don't have ideas. They just don't want to do that. Right. Because you suggested it. It's like, fine. What do you suggest? I mean, look, again, Obamacare, prime example. Mm-hmm. We took Mitt Romney's plan in, in Massachusetts. Oh, agreed. Yeah. Romney care. We took everything they wanted, everything the conservatives asked for. We said, sure, we'll do it your way. We'll do this. We'll do this. We'll do this. We'll mm-hmm. make it national. They did everything. The whole, you know, the insurance mandate was demanded by the insurance companies because they didn't want to be cut out and have, you know, the, the single payer option for the government. You know, right. All these things that just were the compromises are what they beat us with. And so, see, you took this away from us. No, this was your plan. We took right. your platform from 1998 and we put it into effect because we thought you would be on board with it because we're trying to do the right thing. Right. And, you still beat us with it. So I am. Um, it cracked me up when rise of AOC is the people backlash against that. It's like, fine. True. You don't want to, you don't want to play nice. When we do your rules, we're going our way. 
Yeah, I am. Um, I got a big kick out of it when uh, when Trump first got into office and uh, Paul Ryan was trying to, uh, you know, put together a new health care package. And, and he was saying, like, well, it's not fair for younger people to pay money that then older, sicker people have. like, do you not know how insurance works? Like, I thought you were an economics guy, like, <laughs> like, you know, where the mass pays in money and then it goes to be able to, you know, take care of whatever an individual member needs, like. Like, why? <laughs> you know, the, there is a concept of fairness that baffles me where it's like, well, I should be able to get exactly how much, you know. It's, it's exactly like people who scream about uh, school bonds and things like my kids are out of school. Why should I pay for schools again? Right. It's like because you're part of society. Right. Because it impacts <laughs> you every day. Yeah. It's like people paid for your school long before you were taxpayers. Right. Yeah. That's how this works. And but some people, if it's, you know, if I don't get a direct benefit from it, it's not worth it. And I, I don't know how to reason with those folks. The, the people that are, it doesn't help me. So you can't have it. Right. I, that, but there are a lot of people that that's their philosophy. True. That's very know? true. Oh, man. No, it's true. It's 100% true. It's unfortunate, but it's true. So I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, Good. I was going to say, we're we're, we're delving way into the politics. We are really diving in. Back to the weird. Well, politics are weird in reality. They're very weird, but yeah. Um, so changing gears though, one thing that um, that I feel like I should mention is that uh, even though your world is, you know, technology and, and you know, you, you have a very artistic side, um, you know, it, it's... Um, it, it, it's just cool. You know, we actually, you know, the two of us met when we were playing together in a, you know, in, in a brass quintet at a Unitarian church of all places. Um, you know, if, if that's an oxymoron in itself, when you say Unitarian church, but we'll, we'll proceed right past that. But I mean, you're, you're also, you know, you're a talented musician, you've got artistic skills. I mean, and even your kind of primary, I guess you call it a side hustle at the moment, but definitely something that's got some potential chops for you. I mean, you, you're an artist too. I mean, you're really making things, you know, you're creating cool things in the world, whether whether it be auditory or visual or whatever. I mean, and that's something that definitely should not be downplayed by any stretch. I, I appreciate I, I, the, my, my main medium obviously is, is photography, but uh, mm-hmm. for, for the artworks, the music is something I really, really enjoy, but I'm not as good at as I would like to be. And so it's really, it's really hard to, you know, to, you know, for lack of a better term, haha, toot my own horn. There's too much innuendo in that statement nowadays. You got to be careful. (laughs) I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good musically as far as executing. I'm not very good at like music writing. Uh, That's not my, my forte. The boys have really taken that and and gone a step further. I think the boys are better musicians at their age or at at their current age than I was at their age. Um, they, they both are, have been running with that. They both, they, in fact, uh, one of them was an all national orchestra. Uh, Heck yeah, as man. So it's like, it's like they're, they're very good musicians. Yeah. All, yeah. We've uh, braced out and started playing a lot of other instruments. So mm-hmm. we all started on trumpet and right. the boys have, have braced up all the brass stuff. Um, well, nobody's I, I, perfect. That's why you have to go away from trumpet yeah. eventually. So, yeah. Yeah. You, you, you took over for tuba or on, or right. took over for me on tuba because I was not terribly good at tuba, but I was the only well, one on tuba. Well, I had. <laughs> so, for people out you there are listening, an yeah. incredible tuba player, by the way. I yeah. do appreciate that. I, um, I, I'm, so I, uh, I started playing uh, what's called a euphonium and tuba. Um, you know what a euphonium is, obviously, but for people out there, it's like a baritone horn. It's, it's basically a little mini tuba that's in the same range as a trombone. It's halfway I, between a trumpet and a tuba. Yeah, basically. Um, so it was, uh, um, you know, I played those for many years and then I picked up trombone in high school and I was a, um, if any, so I was what's called a bass trombone player. That that's really where I shined. I could play what they call lead or first, which was all the high kind of melodies and stuff like that. But because I played tuba and kind of learned the physics of tuba and learned where it fits in the organization, bass trombone is like the bottom. It's the foundation of that section. And so that was really where I shined, which, which I absolutely loved, but, um, it's one of those where my weird Asperger's brain, right? It all it, with music, it always allowed me to be able to understand where my particular instrument fit, you know, which and, and, and when you're the tuba player in a small ensemble, especially, you know, um, you're you may not have the complicated fun parts. A lot of times you're just doing what's called umpas, you know, which I know Jim knows very well, you know, mm, 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 mm. but um, but at the same time, you know, as the lowest voice and the one that can be heard the farthest away because of the low vibrational sound waves you're you're the one that's counted on for tempo for pitch for articulation that kind of stuff and it's important it, to know if you're playing that instrument that you're 
the one that's being listened to. So I always try to take an active role when I play. So I appreciate that, that you say that, because like, it's something that I've always tried to very much. The, the baseline is like an IT department. Yeah. Nobody, right. nobody cares about it until the second it's not there. Right, exactly. <laughs> as soon as it's missing, something's wrong. What's, what's wrong? Exactly what am it. I not hearing? Right, yeah. right. Well, and, and I do sincerely appreciate that because Jim is, is one heck of a musician too. And he's a really amazing trumpet player. And not, I will say though, I mean, I've played with a lot of people on tuba lines over the years and he's not a bad tuba player either. So I'll give him a lot of credit there. I am um, definitely a bad tuba player. <laughs> he, he would have been better if he had a, uh, a a different instrument he had a very pretty instrument that was not necessarily the best sounding um but it was very I, pretty I still, i'll give him credit i honest i still struggle with bass bass clef I, uh, I, yeah, i've yeah. been i've been playing for 30 some odd years i still <laughs> struggle reading bass clef you know i could have transposed tuba parts for you into oh, half, half my tuba parts were in treble yeah 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 <laughs> i was about to say i transposed them myself so i didn't have to struggle with it <laughs> You know, Seriously, I transposed them to B flat <laughs> into C, and then yeah, and just read them like a trumpet. Yeah, and I, like I literally played it like a trumpet part. Holy <laughs> crap! I like that though. That's pretty good. See, again, creative. You find ways to. That's critical you thinking skills. Work. Yeah, yeah. make it work. It was See, a lot more effort than if I just practiced more bass clef, but still, <laughs> <laughs> it depends. It was. It was well. Yeah, it depends on what you're working with music-wise, but yeah, I, it's I funny. A, I had a buddy in high school that we we joked around about. Uh, you know, if, if we spent half as much time doing our homework as we did thinking up ways to not do our homework, we wouldn't have to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's unfortunate is that you didn't play like saxophone, like barrier alto sax, because you can read if as long as you keep, can keep up with the accidentals and the key signature, like like a bass, bass clef and th things in the key of E flat like that. Um, they read the same from bass to yeah. treble clef and E flat, which is very cool. Like I could read a very sax part straight as long as I kept up with the key signature or the time. The, yeah, the key. Yeah. But, uh, now we're getting into the geeky, <laughs> the, the band nerd <laughs> side of things. Um, but no, it's it's a uh, it, it's funny you say about your boys like being. I remember as far as playing wise, um, I was far better. Like my senior year in high school, like I peaked so hard it wasn't even funny. And it's because I didn't do a lot with music after that for a while. But um, but as far as like writing and arranging and that kind of stuff, I feel like I really did a lot better with that later on when we were doing stuff. You know, we'd write our own arrangements for things and this and that and all that kind of stuff. Christmas songs, all sorts of weird things <laughs> yep but uh it's cool though man it's a uh, that's something i need to get back into actually i actually i'm uh, considering uh penning a uh, billy joel marching band show just for the heck of having something else to do with my brain because it needs a it needs a music diversion every once in a while <laughs> but, you know. yeah just to emphasize the weird part so we had a uh, dan and i formed we we're the the founding members of what at the time was the triangle sound machine oh that was fun um and it we it changed uh when dan left uh to go to tennessee we mm -hmm. uh we ended up changing it uh changing the format a little bit yeah yeah uh, it's now it's it still exists it's called church street um the guys still play um, which is cool yeah yeah a bunch of the, the members that joined with us initially are still playing shows in in the rally area um if you ever see church street hit them up um they they typically do stuff like wine wine winery and you know, shows <laughs> sure. like that it's it's not a big huge you know production thing but it's uh, we call ourselves the world's smallest uh, big band or the world's largest jazz combo because you know, when we were when we were playing it was yeah. like it, it was a 20 piece band i mean yeah. it's not not a small band you don't squeeze right. them onto a into a corner at a at a bar but that's true yeah it was super fun but you know the stuff we were playing we're, we're trying to form as a jazz band and the uh, song that that dan kept bringing up it was the one his favorite one to play was very freaking, much favorite was freaking eye of the tiger Survivor. oh no that was, was like, uh, not me that was no brass <laughs> brass machine was the one that i wanted to do all the time which you guys the, hated the, the ones no the one we actually played all the time was well true yeah. freaking eye of the tiger well it's because it's everybody because can play that arrangement yeah, right everybody can play it yeah, there, but, there were two that I always tried to do. There was the Jeff Tyzik in the mood, which oh yeah. was amazing arrangement, which I absolutely we just, loved. We didn't have the players that could play the the brass machine and, and in the right. We well, just so, yeah. yeah, brass machine is another one. If if people are out there listening, go and check that out on YouTube. It's an amazing chart. It's it's infectious. But there's this bit in the middle where it's just the four trumpets are just going to freaking town, man. So and, if you want to hear it in all its glory, look up Scream Machine. It's yes, the exact same song that's that was performed yeah. by Bill Chase. Yeah, from, there you go. Uh, Bill Chase is one of the greatest trumpet players who ever lived. He unfortunately died in a plane crash very young. And yeah, look up that one. Scream Machine, Bill Chase. It is Brass Machine, but it's got a fusion right. jazz band. 
play to it. Yeah, and yeah. that's that's the scene. That that right there is a section that he's talking about right oh, now. Yeah. Oh, I love the it. Section in the middle. Oh. Bill Chase <clears throat> absolutely murders. Well, we would we drilled that. You guys almost had it at one point, actually. We never had it to speed. We never even had it well. close to speed, but yeah, it was we can play it, but but, but yeah, when, when you left, the discussion was was more it's like, look, where are we ever gonna go where we can actually play this? Because Fair nobody no, nobody wedding yeah. ever wants to hear it. Right. And and I I you know I lamented and it's like fine, yeah. No, I know or relented as opposed to lamented. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, gotcha. I relented, it's like fine. And so I went, I bought a bunch of uh uh jazz packs, standard yeah, sure. stuff, some Miles right, Davis right. stuff, some uh, real book stuff. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I had to get our our EMI licensing or did we do EMI or did we do I don't I remember what licensing we got, but sure, sure. Uh uh a BMI was I think our license. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, so we could legally play those things. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> and uh but yeah and then just kind of lived out of out of uh out of real books, books and, and yeah i got you no that's so. cool man it's all good we um <laughs> it was a lot of fun regardless and the good people too that's you know oh, yeah. uh one of the things that i will say is that most music people um regardless of where they fall politically or anything like that they know how to work together uh, unless you're the occasional lead trumpet player that's got something up your backside um everybody else typically they they know how to work together and it's one of those where when you set a goal and you know you're trying to get a job done everybody kind of steps up and comes together which is cool yeah, the, the trumpet dig i'm gonna take offense to but <laughs> but you are right it's it's the leads it's whatever the lead trumpet Correct. artist is right. always the it's always the person who it was it's either the right. lead trumpet or the lead sax, which could be either alto or tenor. Baritones right. never, never, never. never uh-uh. no. Even when they are the lead, because they're awesome. But right. the lead guitarist, it's That's always true. it's always one of those people: the guitar, right. the, the trumpet, or the sax. And which is funny because a lot of times you'll have lead pianists, and it's never the pianist because they no, are never. they're completely used to playing the the accompaniment parts right exactly yeah. well they even when they get to shine but right yeah. i mean even lead trombone players don't have that attitude because we just don't get that many opportunities to do anything yeah it's baseline it's something right it's, if yeah. anybody that has the leads all the time are offended when they don't have the lead right and See, it's, that's it it's yeah the same thing the whole, <laughs> you know equality feels like oppression when you <laughs> power same which thing. is funny because most of the solos in the trumpet world in big bands are in the second second part, part yeah and they call it the ride trumpet but that well, doesn't but still well, but, that's that is actually because trumpet players tend to be the prima donnas you got two people it's like look 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 you can't do everything i want to do shit too so one lead and one soloist and so Mm -hmm. you know it's it's like you know it's part one and part a those are those are the two parts you know (laughs) first part and a part you know right you yeah, both yeah. get to be in top. You both get to be in charge. So just right. go with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny. Um, so this is gonna. I'm gonna. I promise this is gonna make sense. So there's a Mr. Rogers said one time, um, that when he was little and he would see scary things like train wrecks, stuff like that on TV, his mom would all. <laughs> his mom would always say look for the helpers right exactly so you can utilize that same logic especially in a big band the train wreck is going to be the couple of arguing trumpets the lead sax and the guitar and the helpers are going to be the other members of the rhythm section the barry sax the bass trombone and the fourth trumpet <laughs> and it's very funny to see how those dynamics play out almost the same in every single group you ever see it's it's hilarious absolutely it, hilarious. It's almost every band you'll ever perform especially in a, like a big band arrangement type thing where you've got you you've got a lot of people you've You've got 50 people on the stage any given time. The power of the band is always determined by the worst players. You're always going to have a really good trumpet player, a really good saxophone, a really good piano player somewhere in there. But if they're playing and the people behind them are much, much weaker players, right? It you know, you're never going to have as good a sound. And that's a lot of times when you hear live bands, that's what you're hearing. You're hearing a couple of people who are really good and they've got a couple of friends that just are along for the ride. Right. And that happens all the time. And it's true. It's not a, a a you know, a dig at, at people that are playing. It's no, just not that, at all. That happens a lot. You get four friends that are really good friends, and one of them's a really good guitarist. Hey, let's form a band. It, it never works. Right. <laughs> and you look at all the great bands in history. I mean, like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, those guys may have known each other, but they weren't, they weren't, you know, one person forming a band. It was no, a bunch of good musicians right. or great musicians coming together to form. Yeah, a band. for sure. Yeah, no, that's 100% true. <laughs> that's so, uh, it takes me back, man. <laughs> like yeah. it always how it is. I remember we had a, a very talented trumpet player in high school that quit band after sophomore year because he couldn't be first in big band, that he was going to be the ride trumpet player. And then the other guy who was first was our same age. So like it didn't matter what he did for the rest of his high school time, he would never play first part in big band. So he left. <laughs> yeah. It was like, I'm done. That tells you that's the 
that that mm-hmm. is you know there's you know tuba christmas there's, there's <laughs> <laughs> yeah you, i'm sure you've seen that meme the why there isn't a trumpet christmas is oh like, yeah. yeah it's accurate oh, no it's it accurate. is well there's an audio file that's going that's somewhere that goes on the it. internet yeah that goes with it but yeah um yeah and for Aussie, those of you guys that don't know it's just yeah. trumpet players screaming and and doing things that are over the top that it's just because that's what trumpet players do yeah if i can find <laughs> that on youtube i'll link it in the description for everybody to be able to see it's classic um th- there is a thing that, that done at many colleges called tuba christmas where they'll have like a they have like a tuba ensemble of 10 to 15 or even 20 um tubas and euphoniums that that are and it's absolutely gorgeous it's beautiful but there's there those instruments as a role in an orchestra are supporting instruments so they're much more likely to be team players than say your lead you'll have community events where it'll be a hundred people with a tuba will show up and play it and that's the community it's super awesome and it always sounds pretty good because yeah, you know, it's the people that really know what they're doing. You hear over the people that aren't necessarily as strong. Right. But the problem is if you put a hundred trumpets in a room, you could oh, not, dear God, no. You yeah. could not possibly hear the melody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're gonna cut the 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 musician stuff right right before we start getting into light bulb jokes, because there's one for every instrument, but I don't feel like we really need to go there. Nah. <laughs> I I have told the tuba one on the show though before. Um I'll, I'll say that one at least just to, you know, I, I don't drink, right? But the tuba one is, you know, one tuba player to hold the light bulb and the others to drink until the room starts spinning. Like, <laughs> like there's, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it is, uh, all of you non-band people, I apologize for the last however long we've been talking about this, but it's all legit. It's all for real. Um, we should have like a band geek round table at some point, just dive way into, you know, eight to five marching and all this other kind of stuff. Um, You're going to have to chop this up into like four episodes. At least two, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It works, though. It's good, man. It's good. To be concluded. Thank you for listening to The Power of Weird. This episode of The Power of Weird was brought to you by The Spectrum Perspective, communication training for the modern workplace. Learn more online at thespectrumperspective.com or simply follow the link in the description below. Make sure to stay tuned for more of my story, as well as great interviews with amazing weird people. And remember, be the weird you want to see in the world. We'll see you next time on The Power of Weird.